0: The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Are you glad to be here today? Amen. <laughs> all right we're going to be in luke's gospel chapter four let me uh let me start with this though Uh, what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object have you heard that before just raise your hand if you've heard that phrase before uh the unstoppable force the immovable object it is known as a logical fallacy See the physics of it, it's always dangerous when I start to talk science. I understand that studied theology deep in the humanities, not much of a science guy, but here's what I understand. The physics of this, of the unstoppable force, the immovable object don't actually work. There actually isn't anything like an unstoppable force. You would need a an infinite amount of energy, uh, all the energy the uh, universe could muster and a little bit more to have an actual unstoppable force. There are no immovable objects. Let me blow your mind for a second. All right, let me blow your mind. This object right here subject to the force i could possibly put on it this block wall uh, i would put my force against it and it would seem to us that did the object move we would say no that it did not here's what's mind-blowing to me is at an atomic level if you were able to look at it i actually did push some of the atoms aside the wall actually moved under the force of my hand how many people are like mind blown right now right you're not science people either the science people are going of course it moved i get it Um, but to us it seems like an immovable object there are no immovable objects everything moves ever so slightly to uh, invisible to the eye but at an atomic level You you see the question of the unstoppable force the immovable object isn't actually a science question though it seems so It's actually more of a philosophy question. It's actually a question that's raised by people who are skeptics of religion to prove something about God, something that they believe about God. I would argue, for sure, there are no immovable objects if we're talking now in the metaphysical realm. But I would argue also that there is an unstoppable force. Let me put it this way. Up on the screen. Question What happens when the unstoppable force of God's Word meets the immovable object of a stubborn human heart? Hmm. Answer The stubborn human moves. <laughs> because God's Word is an unstoppable force. Amen? god's word is an unstoppable force and as we uh, begin back into the gospel of luke we're starting a part two of this multi-year series that we have um last year we were uh, looking at uh, essentially the nativity narrative and the uh, kind of um, preparation pre-ministry preparation of jesus Uh, we did 16 messages we're going to do 30 messages now uh, as we move forward in this series Uh, the galilean portion of jesus ministry and then uh, some time in the future if jesus does not return first we will continue plodding away in the gospel of luke to complete our study so we're looking at the galilean ministry it starts here with some preaching in uh, the synagogue in jesus hometown where he was raised his hometown of nazareth and what we're going to see in this account these verses we have in front of us is that god's word is unstoppable that's the whole message today and the reality is, as you've come here, such a diverse crowd of people. Uh, some of you have come here doubting God. Doubting his word. Some of you have come here today prepared to argue it. To challenge what you're hearing from God's word. You'll have those kinds of discussions as you go away from this place today. I know what he said, but... Some of you will walk away sad because you know it to be true, but you can't bring yourself to obey it and to follow Jesus. Some of you will dismiss it quickly. Some of you will deny it, ignore it. But I want to tell you this morning, you can't. You can't. God's word, Isaiah said, will accomplish the thing for which God has purposed it. It will accomplish the thing for which he sent it. It said with such confidence, it is so definitive in the scripture. God's word will accomplish God's will. But not just in a universal big picture kind of way. Like, yeah, I know all things are going to play out the way God wants them to. But I need us to hear this this morning. It's going to play out for you. It's going to play out perfectly for you as an individual with whatever challenges you come with today. Whatever you're facing right now. So it's best to hear it. It's best to believe it. It's best to obey it. So let's hear God's word together. I'm going to read these verses. Then I'm going to pray for God to do something great here today again. This is Luke's gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, it's not this Joseph's son. And he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Well, we have heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let's pray. Father, um, by your spirit, God, I pray that you would break through all of our defenses. God, break through our objections and our rebellions, both small and great. And God, speak to us through this word. God, show us a better way. Show us your way. And God, do the work that needs to be done to change us this morning. We're so grateful to you for making this possible. For the gift of a relationship with you that we can have through Jesus Christ. We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that we can come together in this time and place to hear this word. So God, we pray all these things through the name of Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior, amen. Amen? All right, let's get into this. I I hope that you believe that God's word cannot be stopped. I mean, even if you only accept the celebrity of Jesus. Lots of people only accept the celebrity of Jesus. They see the popularity of him. Not necessarily the lordship. Not necessarily that he's savior. But just that he's a celebrity He's just another tiff actor or actress on the red carpet. Just another one of those like this guy. (laughs) That actually might be my son. I'm not sure. He fancies himself a celebrity. Luke does. On verses 14 and 15, look at this. It's clear that Jesus was already a celebrity in the land of Galilee. He was already all the talk uh, before Twitter and Facebook were even a thing. Imagine this. He hasn't been at it very long. What we're reading here comes right on the heels of his baptism and then his temptation. Then he heads straight to Galilee and he starts preaching through various towns. There's no mass media. There's no social media. There are no newspapers of any kind. There's no radio on which to broadcast his sermons. There's no TV reporters to say, hey, this is going on in the next town. The only way that communication happened over vast areas of space, uh, geographies, was, was word of mouth. Somebody who was traveling from one village to the other. Somebody who went to market, somebody who went to sell something. Somebody who was visiting a relative heard something about a guy or saw him and went back and reported. And and in that way, news had spread about Jesus throughout all of Galilee. It was already all the talk. Notice a report about him went out and he was notice what it says. He's glorified by all not glorified in the God sense, but glorified in the same way that people go down to Tiff. You know what I'm talking about when I say Tiff, right? OK, if you don't know about TIFF, you haven't watched the news in like three weeks concerning anything that's happening in Toronto. The Toronto International Film Festival, people go down simply to go and catch sight of some star. Ooh, they're on a red carpet. OK, and, 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 and that's what's happening here. They're glorifying him in that sense. They're praising him up they, they love the things that they're hearing about him. Now, there's no sense at all at this point that he's God or that he's the Messiah. He's just a popular preacher man that's getting everybody's attention. So many people see Jesus in this way still today. A lot of people would put him in the category of greatest man who ever lived. Even if they don't acknowledge him as God, as the son of God, as the savior of the world. He was certainly a great man. Maybe you've heard somebody say that before to you when you've invited them to come here to worship with us. He he was a great teacher. Even Muslims will acknowledge that. Even Gandhi acknowledged that. He's a great teacher. People admire his life of sacrifice. That he was a martyr. But that's as far as it goes for many. He's a little better in that regard then than Oprah, whose name I don't even like to utter. Or Gandhi. But Jesus sees the whole thing quite differently. The scriptures see things about Jesus quite differently. We don't actually have those options just to see him as a wise guru, a great teacher, a great man, a sacrifice, a martyr. We've already seen in Luke's gospel, if you'll remember back to the first uh, three and a half chapters, we've already seen how he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. No one else on earth could ever claim that. That he was uh, anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Baptism's a great thing to do. It's a step of obedience. We see it in the scripture. Everyone ought to do it if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But none of us actually get anointed by the Spirit at baptism. Not like Jesus. Goes off into the desert. And he's uh, battling uh, the evil one against temptation. It's the Spirit of God that leads him into the desert. To have that showdown with the evil one. And now we see him here, empowered by the Holy Spirit for the ministry of proclaiming the good news. He isn't just a celebrity, he's not just a good man, he's not just a wise teacher. Even if you reduce Jesus to someone other than the Holy Spirit, empowered. Son of God and Savior of the world. You can't stop his word from having full effect in your life. You can't stop his word. From impacting and changing this world. You see what you believe about Jesus. What I believe about him. What I believe about his word. What you believe about his word. Actually has no effect on God's plan. God's going to affect his plan. His will will happen for you in this world. You might not think God's word is is impacting you, but wait, here's all I would say about that. You say, I I don't think God's word has any effect on me. Just wait. Final chapter isn't written. Lots of chapters still to be written in your life and in the history of this world. Listen, God's word cannot be stopped. Even if you have wrong ideas about Jesus. Let's look at this second. Even if you have wrong ideas regarding Jesus. Verses 16 and 17. Notice he now comes to Nazareth. Says here, um, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom... He went to the synagogue on on the Sabbath day. He was a faithful man. He stood up to read. This was the custom. And, And Jesus would have had, because of the celebrity that was already around him, because he was a local boy who was kind of unique in this. I mean, he was a carpenter's son, and now he's come back to the synagogue. This was really the form and how things would happen in their worship anyways. But this was kind of a special day for him because for them because jesus had come back And so the scroll is brought out and he gets to stand up and the scroll is laid out The scroll of the apostle or the prophet isaiah says was given to him He unrolled the scroll and found the place Not easy to do in a scroll. No chapter and verse uh, Numbers in the scroll. So jesus knew exactly where he wanted to read he found the place where it was written and this is coming to you now from isaiah 61 and isaiah 58 kind of a uh, put some verses put together here that jesus reads and this is a messianic prophecy it's written six centuries before this moment where jesus is reading it and it's giving details about the good news the gospel that he would preach It's not coincidental that this is what Jesus is reading, that this is the passage. Now, let me say that Jesus stated purpose for coming to this world. Was first of all, his own stated purpose for coming to this world was to preach. And we don't often think about that. In fact, if I was to ask any number of people here, uh, Terry actually is one of our elders and he's a. Man learned it in the scriptures. He's taught the scriptures for many, many years, being far older than I am, <laughs> wiser than I am, is what I meant to say. Actually, not that much older than I am. Um, but, but if I was to ask Terry or any number of believers who are acquainted with the scriptures, what was Jesus' purpose for coming to the world? You might cite a verse like Mark ten forty five, and you would say that Jesus came uh, to give his life as a ransom for many. And you'd be right. But that's not the complete answer. Jesus didn't come to just give his life. He actually came to proclaim a message. I mean, if he only came to give his life, if he only came to be a sacrifice and there was no actual message attached to that, then we might be tempted to believe a doctrine that's false. We might be tempted to believe that Jesus coming to earth and giving his life was was automatic or universal in its application. Because no message is attached to it, Jesus gave his life. Therefore, the blood of Christ must apply to everyone. There's no need for a message. There's no need for us to understand, to hear the message, to believe it, and to accept it. Because no message would have been attached to it. But Jesus said that he came to actually proclaim. He came to preach. Lots of people, by the way, believe in this universalism that Jesus just died for everybody. It plays out like this. This is the way people often say it. Um, I just believe that in the end, everybody's going to be saved. Heard that before? I just believe everyone's going to be saved. I don't believe God would send anybody to that place. A merciful, loving God wouldn't do that. And so they believe that Jesus' blood, that his sacrifice just automatically, universally applies. But Jesus said, I came to preach a message. I came to proclaim something that you must believe. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are in fact the content of the sermon that must be believed to have an application in a person's life. It's not automatic. So that's why he says that this message is for certain people. Let me read the verses here. This is again from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me, notice, to proclaim good news, gospel, To the poor, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Notice the four categories of people, poor, captives, blind, oppressed. And then he says the word proclaim again, third time, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Proclaim, proclaim, proclaim to the poor, to the captives, to the blind, to the oppressed. These four categories of people, these are the ones who are the recipients of the good news. And so we might assume as his hearers did. See, these people that are listening to Nazareth, they're forming all kinds of ideas about Jesus and what they've heard about him. And now he's quoting this part from Isaiah. Isaiah. Their their minds are racing with things that they could believe about him. They're actually wrong ideas about him. That somehow the whole thing was actually about lifting the poor out of poverty and making them wealthy. That it really was about freeing prisoners, that it really was about healing the blind, that it really was about relief for oppressed people. In essence, you could write beside this that it was about a social gospel. That it was about somehow improving the lot of people in this life, in the here and now. But what Jesus offered was spiritual freedom. Something far more valuable. Something far more cherished. Because it's eternal. You can't lose it. Every person that Jesus ever healed, and it's not that he didn't heal, we know he did. But every person that he ever healed, the people that he raised from the dead, what happened to those people? What is common to all of them? They eventually all died again. The people he raised from the dead died. The people he healed of diseases eventually died. So temporal, those things were were temporal. They were just for this life. Don't you believe that God has something far greater in mind for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Spiritual freedom. For sure, some would find their economic status improved. Some would receive their sight. Some would find freedom they hadn't had before. But not everybody. I mean, those miracles that Jesus would do, the ones that these people had already heard about in Nazareth. Those were just signposts. There's just markers along the way pointing to what the message being proclaimed, the message that had to be believed because again, God had something much bigger in play here than just their earthly happiness. We have to stop thinking so small. The appearance of Jesus Christ in this world wasn't to make this life better. Can we see that that's such a small and insignificant goal? I hope you haven't come here today saying, I hope Todd says something that makes my life better today. I want to be happier now. I want good things to come to me. Such a small and insignificant goal. God's intention in sending his son was to reverse the curse that's on this world. That's bigger than whatever's happening in your house. God's intention was to forgive us of our sins and make it possible that we could get back into a relationship with our God. God's purpose is so that we could transcend this life and find life in him for all eternity we would have an unhindered relationship with our creator and live forever with him in a recreated earth. The new heavens and the new earth face to face with our savior and Lord Jesus Christ. A place where faith would no longer be needed because we'll see him face to face. That's the big thing that God's up to and it's so much bigger than whatever thing you brought in here today. I don't want to be a jerk about this, but I often am. What's going on here is so much more important than whether or not you get a job or a better job. What's going on here today in this passage is so much more important, single person, and you finding a spouse. It's so much more important, you who are sick, Than you being healed. Not that Jesus doesn't care about those things, not that I don't care about those things or our elders don't, we do. What's going on here is about something eternal, something massive. He promises freedom from guilt, He promises that fear will be eradicated. He promises to erase our shame concerning our past. That's greater than any physical healing. It's greater than any job you might get. It's greater than anything. The gift of forgiveness. The gift of his grace. The good news of Jesus Christ is what liberates us spiritually. Now notice. Notice. He says all of this in verse 20. He rolls up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. It was a custom in the synagogue that you read the scriptures standing up and you taught the people sitting down. So he's getting ready to teach them. And in this moment, notice what the text says. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. This is a moment. This is, this is a moment where the people are all just like, what just happened here? What is going on? They want to hear what he's going to say next because how he read the scriptures... His very presence, all they had heard about him before was now right in front of them. Their eyes are fixed on him. They can't think about anything else. And all of this, because verse 14 tells us the power of the spirit was on him. The thing I pray for every Sunday for our church is that the power of God's Holy Spirit would be in this place. So that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus Christ and not on anything else. God, help us. God, give us that every week. It happened in Nazareth. On this day, they knew it wasn't just another Sabbath day in the synagogue. They were witnessing the unstoppable force of God's word at work in their midst. Now, look at this next. Even if you have doubts about Jesus... God's word is unstoppable. Jesus makes this bold statement in verse 21. They're all looking at him at this point. There's so many things that can distract us here, but there's no shuffling around. There's, there's no one. Whispering to their neighbor, there's no one thinking about getting up and going to the washroom. There are no babies. Disturbing anybody in the synagogue at this moment, their eyes are all fixed on him. A hush comes over their crowd and he makes this statement in verse 21. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. No one missed what he was saying when he said that. Not a person in the synagogue misunderstood. No one was elbowing their neighbor saying, what did he just say? what What does he mean by that? No one is wondering that. He's declaring in this moment that he himself is the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy. He is saying to them as if as if a flashing neon sign were over him saying messiah messiah messiah. He's making the claim. Now remember the people of Nazareth would have known that Mary and Joseph were in the Davidic line. One of the important things you need to know about the Messiah is he's going to come from the line of David. Mary and Joseph had that. So check Mark He could be. We just heard him read the scriptures. There's something unique about him. He's been preaching all over Galilee. He's saying that he's the embodiment of the good news. And initially, verse 22, they're pretty happy about it. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. I mean, everybody wants a hero to come from their hometown. I mean, we live here in Barrie. We, 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 love, we love it. Have celebrities from our town make it in Hollywood or make it in the professional sports or make it in politics or whatever else it is, whatever. We love that stuff. We love it when celebrities come from our home. So the Nazareth people are going, could it be Messiah? Really? The next king of Israel from our little town? so they're excited about it they're thrilled now these people were living a little history here don't glaze over these people were living under occupation they were unwilling participants in the mighty and powerful roman empire the hope that the people of israel had at that Moment in history was that their Messiah would come back and liberate them from Roman rule, reestablish the Davidic kingdom. They're fired up about the possibility that the one who's standing in front of them right now, who just read the scriptures is going to be that Messiah King. And it's stirring up their emotions and their hopes and their dreams for themselves as a people. They start start thinking about all of this. This is all happening in real time. And then, just at the very end of verse 22, notice what happens here. They're all excited and they're buzzing about this. And then they said, wait a second. Is is this not Joseph's son? Now, whenever in the scripture somebody asks this particular question, it's always with doubt. It's always like, really? I don't think he's the guy. He was raised as a carpenter. He, he doesn't have any education. How is he going to rise up to the Defitic throne? They're not sure he was the one to do the job. And it's so easy in the same way that it happens in just like a heartbeat for these people in the synagogue. It's so easy for us to allow doubts to creep in. I mean, after all, we, we can't even see our God. None of us have seen him. I mean, you, you say you believe in Jesus. You say you, you follow him. You, you say you follow him. But you can't even see him. How can you follow someone you, you can't even see? You say he loves you. And then all this. The word that's coming to mind is crappy, so I'll just use it. All this crappy stuff is happening to you. Does he really love you? It doesn't seem like he's coming through for you at all. And we hear all of this. And it comes from outside. But it comes from inside too, doesn't it? And we think about it and we have all these doubts about him. It's, it's so easy. Isn't this Joseph's son? just a guy i don't know how he's the one who could possibly do this job we hear all these arguments against belief some of them coming from within and we wonder if he really will come through for us and when he doesn't come through in the way that we want him to as is so often the case it creates doubt When life is hard, we, we doubt. But it's only because we believe, in essence, in a social gospel. We believe that the intent of why he came was to make us wealthy, to make us healthy. I'm sorry, Victoria Osteen, you're wrong. He will come through for you. His word can be believed and stood on. His word is unstoppable in our lives to erase doubts and to help us believe in him. You can't allow the seeds of doubt. Which come from wrong belief about Jesus. You can't allow those seeds of doubt to grow in you, or there is an inevitable road that you will end up on. Because the people in his hometown, they allowed their doubt to then become anger and then violent rejection of his message. Now, to be fair to what's going on here, Jesus knew their hearts. Simeon said in his prophecy in Luke 2 that he would, he would be a discerner of people's hearts. He knew their hearts. And so Jesus actually provoked what happens next. You okay with God provoking things in your life? Because this is the way he works. God's poking us constantly. To stir some things up in us. To get us us to a better place. And so Jesus, Jesus provokes the crisis here. And. So we would see this, that God's word cannot be stopped, even if you're openly hostile toward Jesus. Check out his words in verses 23 and 24. He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. He said, Truly I say to you, no prophet's acceptable in his hometown. And these people are really just trying to get Jesus to do something great in Nazareth. Hey, what you did in those other towns, we want some of that here. Bring on some of that. We want to see the healing. We want to see blessing come our way for a change. And he expected them. They expected him to deliver for them. But again, he knows their hearts. He knows that their motives are not pure, that they have wrong thoughts about him. They think he's a political leader, but he's not. They think that it's a physical material now message, but it's not. So he tells them two stories, one from the life of Elijah, one from Elisha, two prophets. You can read their stories in First and Second Kings. So he tells the story of Elijah, verses twenty-five and twenty-six. And during the famine, Elijah goes and he helps a widow out. He helps a widow who's from her name is Zarephath, and she's from the city of Sidon, which uh, today geographically would be in Lebanon. She's not a Jew. She's not part of the covenant community. And Jesus stirs it up here by saying that the prophet of God went to this woman. He didn't help any Jewish widows. He helped a Gentile widow. Then he tells the story of Elisha. No other lepers. There were lots of lepers in those days. Lots of people with skin diseases. Elisha didn't help Any of them except one man, a Syrian, a soldier. And he healed him and he was cleansed of his leprosy. And we hear those two stories and go, that's nice. Jesus helped Gentiles. And it was just really great because most of us here are Gentiles. So we're like, we're pretty happy about Jesus helping Gentiles, right? Hooray for Gentiles, right? Correct. He's in a synagogue, He's preaching to Jews who think Gentiles are dogs. They have this privileged status in their mind. They have this sense of entitlement as the people of God, that God's only and always going to work with them. They're reflecting the very attitude that Jonah had. Why am I going to go go preach to Nineveh? It's a wicked city. They're Gentiles. They deserve to be judged by you. And why he's so mad when they repent. But listen, lest we uh, misunderstand the scriptures. God has always been about full inclusion of all people in terms of the gospel. That anyone who comes, regardless of race, creed, regardless of, uh, of gender, of age, of socioeconomic stand, standing, all can hear the gospel. All can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And they didn't quite have that idea in the little synagogue in Nazareth. So they're really upset by these two little stories. The other thing that I find so striking here is the delivery of this message. Jesus is certainly, we have these four pillars here at Harvest, and the first pillar is proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. You've heard that before, right? proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. And we could say without a doubt that Jesus is proclaiming the authority of God's word in this moment without apology. Like he's not shrinking back at all from what these people needed to hear. Now here's the pledge I'd make to you. It's kind of what we've been living by the last 13 years here at Harvest. That I'm gonna do my best week after week to be as clear as I possibly can With regard to the explanation of the scriptures. I want to make it really clear to you. We're going to work through it. Phrase by phrase. Verse by verse. Word by word if we need to. To fully understand what God has for us. I'm going to be real clear about it. At the end of hearing a message. You may go away disagreeing. You may go away angry. You may go away upset. But you won't go away confused. Nobody in Nazareth was confused that day. But the people didn't like it. Jesus was unapologetic. He, like us, will not soft-sell the gospel. I won't seek for a second to try to make the gospel more palatable to you if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to make it easy for you to believe We're not going to skip over anything we see in the scriptures. We're not going to round off the hard edges of the truths that Jesus teaches us in his word. And we are certainly not going to sugarcoat anything to make it go down better. But that's what a lot of people want. Paul wrote this. Tell me if this is not true of our day. 2 Timothy 4.3 For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But will But having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I'm going to go find someone who says the thing that makes me comfortable, and then I'll believe that. That's pretty descriptive of today, and it's not good. And so I'm going to take my lead from Jesus here. That's the delivery of the message and the content we've already looked at. This is a hard word. It isn't about being a good religious person. There's no birthright to this. There's no privileged status. There's no automatic in. He tells them that the good news is for anyone. And by all appearances for these Jews, the Gentiles of the world were going to receive this far better than they would. I believe on the last day, it's going to look a little different again. But for now, it's the Gentiles who are embracing this with abandon. It's kind of an understatement to say that a huge shift takes place in light of what Jesus delivers and how he delivers it in verses 28 and 29. When they heard these things. All in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Remember verse 15. Remember the happy days just a few minutes before. When he was glorified by all remember that those are great days weren't they. Remember, remember when they were marveling at his gracious words? Remember that? That was so great back then, a few minutes ago. Now they're filled with wrath. Now they're plotting how they can kill him. In mere minutes, he goes from hero to heretic. I don't want to be too hard on the people of Nazareth. Because we can all be pretty fickle when it comes to God challenging the way we're living our lives. We can all be pretty fickle when we get challenged about our notions about how God ought to play things out for us. As, God, as long as God delivers on the good promises he makes, we're fine with him. But whenever the road gets hard, we can turn on him without Remorse. We can have a sense of entitlement and privilege that God cannot leave unchallenged. God promises us so much in the next life. He promises uh, his promises for this life, though, are centered on internal blessings, matter of the heart, matters of the minds. While he may pour out physical blessing, while he may give us prosperity in this life, it's not a guarantee. It's not assured to anyone. And so we need to be on God's plan and make sure we're not the ones becoming angry with him. We're not the ones in a figurative sense, taking him to the brow of the hill and tossing him off and saying, God, you're dead to me. A lot of people have done that. I mean, really, when God's plan doesn't match your plan, when when his words are not the words you want to hear. You, you have a couple of options. I mean you can surrender your plan. Okay God I get it. I hear what you're saying. I don't like it necessarily. But, but I surrender my plan. Or you can fight God's plan. I'm keeping my plan. I think this is what's best for me. And God it's you and me now. Let's have it out. If you choose B. It's going to tell you. God's word is an unstoppable force. But you won't win. It's not going to go well for you. You think your stubbornness is an immovable object. God will crush you. Crush you. And notice what happens in. Verse 30, it's kind of a matter-of-fact kind of statement. This is a crowd in, intent on murder. And they think they're religiously justified, by the way, because they now believe he's spoken uh, a heresy in, in saying that he's the fulfillment of prophecy. And so, uh, so they're going to they're gonna kill him for his heresy. Justified, they believe. But passing through their midst, went away i have no idea what happened here i wish luke had given us more details like 50 angels with flaming swords appeared in the synagogue and ushered him out how many people would love that alternate ending i'm gonna love that idea don't you or 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 the roof was blown off by a great wind and jesus ascended out of their midst and out I mean, I, I want some kind of spectacular story, but no, it seems he just walked out and this group of people, maybe in the hundreds, somehow couldn't stop one son of a carpenter. Well, God decided it wasn't his time. His time would come, but God had decided this wasn't his time. God's word. It's an unstoppable force. It's not a good idea to be hostile to God. As we close, let me just say this. As we kind of sort out, because we have a lot of things going on here. You've got Jesus, you've got his word, you've got the spirit of God. Let me just say this. God's word proclaimed in the power of God's spirit through God's son. Is an unstoppable force. And God's word will always elicit a response of some kind from you. Good or bad. That's really what we're talking about here. You're never going to escape the word of God. And it's precise knack. Tell me this isn't true for so many of you. It's precise knack to speak right into certain situations in your life. How many of you have come up to me after a sermon and said. It's like you were in my living room this week. That's the spirit of God. That's the word of God. Knowing our thoughts. Knowing our heart. And speaking directly into our situation from the word of God. We can't escape the hammer blows of the truth that it proclaims to us. We can't run from the Savior and God and Lord who who embodies this gospel. So we need to give up trying. God's word is unstoppable. And how great would it be for us to be able to take the word of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And then to be able to say for ourselves the thing that Jesus said of himself. To be able to take the scriptures that we're learning. And then to say as Jesus did. This scripture has been fulfilled in my life. How great to be able to say this. To be able to say that today. We heard the word of God. We heard it preached. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in my life I pray that we could all do that that we could all acknowledge the unstoppable force of God's word in our lives here's the way we're going to close I'm going to get Deanna to sing this song over us it's a great summary of what we've been looking at as we seek to have Jesus Christ change us into the image that he has shown to us through his life Listen as Deanna sings, and I'm going to close our time off together this morning.
1: The gospel changes everything, the turning point in history, and even now it's changing me, from who story of my savior calls me to the wonder of the cross the gospel changes everything and it is changing me the gospel changes everything the turning point in history Now it's changing me from who I was. The story of my Savior calls me to the wonder of the cross. The gospel changes everything, and it is changing me. Just as I am To you, my God Jesus changes everything There is no greater mystery That God would come to rescue me of my Savior calls me to the wonder of the cross Jesus change
0: You at a guest reception. We're gonna be heading out there in a few moments, so please stop by there. Thanks for coming and being a part of this today. God bless you. You have a great week in the Lord. you love. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.